0: Jewish audio on Rambam Mishnah Torah is the laws of needing the regular daily offerings the regular offerings Umusafim and additional offerings Parik Shlishi Chapter Three very interesting subject and that is the subject of the Ktoreh the incense offered in the Beis Hamikdash Aleph Mitzvah Asay It is a positive commandment La haktir, to offer or to cause to smoke Hakter is the incense Al Mizbakh on the golden altar Shebahechal which was in the actual sanctuary we know there were two altars in the Mishkan as well as in the Beis Hamikdash one was in the courtyard and that was the large sacrificial or sacrifice altar. Then there was a small golden altar, which was actually in the tabernacle, or in the sanctuary itself, and that's the one we're talking about. So it's a mitzvah to offer the incense, to cause the incense to smoke on the golden altar, on the golden altar rather, in the sanctuary, twice twice every day. It's one of those services that are performed by boker in the morning, Obein Harboim, and in the afternoon. Shenemar, as the verse actually says, Aaron shall offer upon it, or cause the smoke upon it, burn on it, teres, the incense, Samim, of fragrance what if for some reason it was not caused to smoke in the morning it was not offered in the morning he can bring it in the afternoon which means that because he missed the morning it doesn't mean he can't do the afternoon and it doesn't mean that they would regularly miss the morning but this is a halacha that says one does not hold back the other even if it was intentional God forbid The the induction of the golden altar should only always be with the afternoon incense and actually we learned in chapter 1 halacha 12 with regard to the daily offering that the halacha is the same the alocha is opposite, rather, that in the case of the daily offering, the induction should always be in the morning, and here it should always be in the afternoon. This is a diametrically opposed law, for some reason. base Kamo How much incense should we offer every day? So he says, Mishkal, the answer is an amount that weighed Meya dinarim. One hundred dinarim. That was the daily volume. Hamishim baboker, fifty in the morning. Hamishim benar and fifty in the afternoon, just to give you some idea of what a hundred dinarim is in our world. One dinar is four grams. So 100 dinar is 400 grams. 400 grams, 14.109 ounces, again about 14 ounces, or 0.881 of a pound. So that's the measure of the daily, and that was split in half. So you had like, to round it off, 7 ounces in the morning and 7 ounces in the afternoon. That's the breakdown to the best of my uh, mathematical skills, which are probably not honed that well, but that's the deal. Okay. Ms. Beyakshenek are, what if for some reason the altar was moved, it was uprooted... We can still offer the incense in its place. And we have a similar law with regard to the sacrifice altar. That if for some reason it's not there, we can still offer in its place. What if incense, even a little bit of it, flies off the altar? Even a grain of it. Whatever fell off should not be returned to the altar. Now we know that the offer of incense on the altar was perhaps the most spiritual experience, certainly on a daily basis in the Holy Temple. And it is the height of spirituality. There's an interesting law. Which states that with the exception of the Kohen Godel, the high priest, who can do so just about any time he wants to, the one who brought the Kohen who brought the incense should do it on a one time deal, which means that if a Kohen brings incense once, he should not bring it again. So there was always a new Kohen doing it. It's interesting that the whole idea of a sandak holding a baby at a bris, in Ashkenazic tradition, the custom is that the Sandak that held your child for the last bris should not hold his baby brother now for the new bris. The sandak should always be a new fellow, a new candidate, with the exception of a great great Sadik paramount to the Kohen Godel. Because the bris is at the level of the incense. So here we're going to learn about the details of how this incredible experience worked. Gimel ba'esh, at the time that they offered the incense in the sanctuary, the golden altar was actually in the sanctuary. daily Everyone cleared out from the sanctuary, from the vestibule and the altar area. It had to be cleared of people. It was too holy of an experience for people to be there. No man should be there until the Kohen fellow, who offered the incense, would exit. And so also at the time that the Kohen would enter, in those, with those special sin offerings which were sprinkled, whose blood was sprinkled inside the chamber of the besam those special unique offerings, everybody would also depart, clear, from the vestibule area between that and the altar until that Kohen would come out. And he says here that this refers to the bull brought by the high priest as a sin offering, the bull brought as atonement for a law forgotten by the high court, and the goats that are brought to atone for idolatry, all of these are sprinkled, its blood are sprinkled in the vestibule itself. When that happened, it had to be cleared from people. This is actually a Pasuk, a verse. Shanam as it says, No man shall be in the tabernacle, but when he comes, the to make atonement, the holy, etc. This verse is a symbolic lesson, a building principle, the chol for all atonements, which were in the holy, meaning in the sanctuary, and there should be no people present. Moving right along, what is the precise procedure of the offering of the incense? As we will learn, everything in the Beis on was by lottery. We learned earlier there were 24 watches, 24 groups of koanim. Each group was divided into, they saw, but they all, every day had a different family. Within the family itself, we needed to know who does what. So it was all by lottery. Me, and we're going to learn the details of the lottery, not here. Me, shizuha, But the person who married it through the lottery to have the privilege to remove the ashes from the inner altar, the way it works is this fellow who wins that lottery, he gets to remove the ashes from the incense altar, he enters kodesh with a holy vessel, a consecrated vessel. What was the name of this vessel? Or Teni, it was called Teni. Commentaries say that that is similar to the word in the Chumash, Tena there means basket. Teni means a form of a utensil to scoop things. This tini was made out of gold. This goes back to the principle we learned earlier, and we will learn again and again. Ain anius There was no poverty in a place of wealth. The something represents wealth. There can't be poverty whenever possible. The vessels were golden. So he had this tini was made out of gold. How big was it? It contained. It had the capacity of kabayim b'chaitzi, two and a half kabim Okay, again, just to give you information in our world, what's a kav? One point four five quarts. So round it off, one and a half quarts. What's two and a half kabim Three point six two five quarts. Three and a half quarts. That's how big this teni was. Maniach, or ha but he puts it down, sets it down on the earth, on the ground, the point before him. So the tni, this, this vessel, is put down on the ground, next to the golden altar. Now this fellow who won the lottery, giving him the privilege of removing the ashes, the he digs, he scoops, with his hands, the ashes, the hapechon, and the coals, which are in the altar, and of course they were cold. We don't want him burning himself. So he scoops up the cold ashes, and coals, from the altar, and he puts it into this vessel called the teni. So what we're doing is cleaning out the old stuff. Then at the end, Mechabit sort of sweeps, he sort of sweeps, as Hashar, the balance, let say, into it. So all the ash ends up in this tenny, all of the old coals. He causes it to rest right there in the sanctuary, he does not take it out now, puts it down, and he leaves. So this part of his responsibility is done. What did he do? He brought this vessel in, put it on the ground, scooped up the ashes and the coals, swept it up, so to speak, and all put it into that tenny. Unless he had 10 elbow, No, that was a bad one. Omish, I take that back. Omish, now you had another coin who merited by lottery to be the one to actually kindle the incense, to burn the incense. One who had the privilege to do the incense. What does he do? He takes a vessel, another vessel, filled with incense. Godush, sticking up, I mean overflowing. It's like you buy an ice cream cone. you can buy a cone flat to the surface, nobody does that. Or you buy an ice cream cone. that's called Godush. Heaped up, overflowing. The He had a covering. This vessel was called a Bozach. This vessel was named a Bozach. The nation This bozach is put, because it's overflowing, in another vessel, the kaf ha-yoshmei, and the second vessel that held the overflowing bozach was called the kaf. The word kaf means a spoon. In our case, a big spoon. The kaf that held the bozach, the heaping bozach, was covered with a small piece of cloth. I mean, the whole volume of the Torahs was not tremendous. And then he held his kaf, and then another Cohen entered in, with a firepan of fire in his hand. Remember, we learned earlier, there were three fires on the altar. One of them was to feed the incense kindling. So, this Kohen, who merited this job, took a pan, as we did learn and will learn, and takes coal and flame from the second pyre on the altar and comes into the base on the English. So, so far we're dealing with three guys. We have the guy who cleans up, comes in with the kenny, scoops up the stuff, puts it in the kenny on the ground, and walks out. Then we have the guy who comes in with the ktores, with the incense itself, in the buzzer in the cop, covered with the cloth. And then we have the guy who comes in with a fire pan filled with fire, with burning coals. Now, actually, he brings down here that the guy who walks in with the fire pan is the same guy who removed the ashes. So it's not another guy; it's the first guy. Hey, the keitzah How does this work? Collecting coals with the firepan. What's the procedure? So he says, The one who merits to deal with this pan, takes a silver fire pan, a silver firepan. Ve'elan he ascends to the top of the outer altar, and he moves away the coals hither and thither. and he takes after he removed the external coals. I he uses the edge of this firepan to remove to set the coals aside. Just sweep the coals aside. He takes from the center. Then he takes the coal that have been really consumed with fire, the red-hot burning coals, in this second pyre, which is the incense fire. Then he goes down with this silver fire pan, and he pours these coals into another fire pan of gold. My theory is that we don't want to go with the gold one up to the altar, because gold is too sensitive for that. So he goes with the silver one, which is also pretty sensitive, then pours it into the gold. And as he's doing this, if the coals spilled a cob or less, we learned that the volume... Well, we learned that a cob is 1.45 quarts. If a cob or less of the coal spilled, what he does is he sweeps them into the running channel. We learned that there was a channel of water flowing through the on Amigdash area. This was the outflow. So the Kohen would sweep the coals there and it would go and flow out of the on Amigdash. That's the way they would wash the Beis Amigdash. They would plug this running channel. The waters would flood and they would wash the Beis Amigdash and then they would open the channel and the waters would exit. But here we're talking about the coals that fell. Or be Shabbos on Shabbos when he wouldn't want to do this because it's extinguishing coals. He takes this vessel called a Psachter, this large vessel, and discovers it instead of sweeping it into the channel. That's if he spilled of these coals less than a Kav, less than a quarter and a half. But if he spilled more than a Kav of coals, he goes and takes the fire pan and does it all over again. Now, in general, this vessel called a Psachter, he says in 6, this vessel would serve three functions in general terms. In the case where there are coals that we don't want to sweep into the channel, he just uses the Psachter to cover it because it's Shabbos. Or, if they find a dead rodent crawling on Shabbos in the base of the they would cover it with a tzachter. We also learned earlier that they used it to remove the ashes from the altar. So these are, we learned that in chapter 2, halacha 13. These are the three usages that, usages that the tzachter had in the base on the Gish. Zayin, the fellow who had the privilege to remove the ashes from the inner altar, he goes in first. And he takes that vessel called the tzachter that was sitting on the ground. Remember we learned that there was a first coin came in cleaned it off, put it under the tini, but left it on the ground. So this guy goes now and takes the tini. Shebei, within it exists, the tishun, the ashes, removed, and then he bows, and this is a form of bowing, which is called, he prostrates himself, he lays flat down in in a bowing position. And he exits. And the guy that's holding the fire pan, gathers the coals on the inner altar, and straightens them out, with the edge of this fire pan. So he straightens out, he sets up in an orderly way the coals. And he bows to the and he leaves. Zesh be of the Now we have the fellow who's holding this calf. Nato he takes it within the kaf of the Bozoch. He takes the bozoh, that smaller vessel. Overflowing with incense, he takes it out with akaf from this cop. and he gives it to his friend, or his relative, to his assistant. sees If some of the incense poured over into the outer vessel of the cop, then his friend the his relative of the calling. Places it within his palms. Zesh is positive, whatever. Droplet was spread out in Maktadus, together with dictatorship of Bozach. So now he's got the ktorus, the incense, in the palms of his hand, which he got from the Bozoch, and if anything spilled over into the cop, his friend put it into his palms as well. Um, this assistant, who's his friend or relative, bows, and goes out. So now, kind of, he's left with the supervisor getting ready to leave. But the supervisor, who, according to the Rambam, is the assistant to the Kohen Godel, they say, to the one who's about to burn the incense, listen, my man, he's zoher. be very careful, don't begin right in front of you. You see, the altar is as big as the altar is. If he starts putting the incense right there, working away from him, then he has to extend his hands over burning incense. Therefore, he should start putting the incense the furthest away from him so he can come back to himself. That way he's not going to burn his hands. Now, why do they have to warn him? He's done it hundreds... No, he's never done it. Every day is a new guy. So they tell him, they tell the guy who's smoking the incense. Watch out. He's be very careful. Shalay Taskil the Ponach, don't start right near you. you shouldn't be burned. Umasli begins, Umashli, and he sort of spreads. He casts, octeted the incense, aloesh, on the flame, benachas, poquito, poquito, very gently. Commissioner Barak could as if he was sifting flour, ad shetis Rabeg al until it spread over the entire fire. So that is the system where he would not get burned, and he explains that the person offering the incense stands to the east of the altar, he begins pouring the incense on the western, on the far side of the altar, otherwise he'll have to lean over the altar while the incense is burning, and he could be burned in that manner, and that could ruin his whole day the the one who's about to spread offer the incense does not do so, until um, the guy in charge. The assistant Koengodl Almight tells him, okay, go for it. what if the fellow doing the incense today was the high priest himself, who had the option to do it whenever he wanted to? Remember, we learned that the high priest could just say, Okay, I'm doing it today. So he can't just say, Go, do it. Because you have to speak to the high priest with respect. Um, says, i 'I'm one of the assistant to him, the guy in charge. The supervisor says, sir, Kay and Gogol, sir, Your Honor the Kohen Gogol, go, cause it to smoke. Offer it. And after he says that, the supervisor himself cannot even remain there. He if the shocala home everybody must depart, because this is a private service. The Aktira ha and the one who does it should do it, should cause it to smoke. The Yashtach, he should bow the gate and he should exit. So this is the order of the offering of the incense. Moving right along to a sister service. Dishun Amenira, the removal of the ashes of the menorah, the The word Hatobas Haneris according to some means the fixing, the preparing, the making ready, the candles which was done every morning. The Rambam says no. The Rambam says, actually means the making them good, the kindling. As we will learn, the Rambam believes, learned that the candles were also lit in the morning, not only in the afternoon. Any candles that went out were rekindled in the morning, and we're about to learn this. So he says, the kindling of the candles, of the menorah, in the morning. Ubein in the afternoon. Others say, no, it was only kindled in the afternoon, and cleaned and letied in the morning. In any event, Mitzvah says, this is a positive commandment. and the one of the sun shall set it up, shall arrange it, the kindling of the candles on a daily basis had to be done daily, and therefore, Decha, it supersedes as a Shabbos, even Shabbos. Even a state of impurity where the whole Jewish people are in a state of impurity. Kikarbon, a Shekabul, like offerings which have to be brought at a certain time. For example, the daily offering and the Shabbos must have also superseded Shabbos. Shanimar, the Hales, told me to bring up a candle continuously, which means that the candle has to be kindled seven days a week. Now he says, How much oil, pure olive oil, does he place for every candle? I'm glad you asked. The answer is, Khatsi, Leg shaman, a half a leg. A, or a leg is 11.63 ounces, using the measurements printed in the back of the Kahat Chomish. So a half a log would be almost six ounces, five and a half ounces, five and a third ounces. Shanama, as it says, From evening to morning, 10 nida, place enough oil in measure, Shayyadilith, Meherabad Baker, it should burn from evening to morning. A half a log. Again, a log is 11.63 ounces, a half a log is half of that. Let's round it off. Eleven and a half ounces. So uh, it's it's half of that, which would be what five and three quarters, I think. Okay. The only way to dedicate the menorah is by candling all seven lamps in the afternoon, not in the morning and not less than seven. So that's the initiation moment. Once it's initiated, if there's just a couple of lamps extinguished in the morning, we take care of those. You'd be on the to define the idea of removal of ashes of the menorah. What does it mean? The answer is called nairshikava. Every one of the seven candles, which went out, which burned out, it was burning all night and it stopped burning. Maisid silo. What this kohen does is he removes. The wick. And he removes the balance of whatever oil is, is left. in the candle, and then cleans it out well. You know, sometimes the candle will go out even though there's oil left. It was just not burning well. Sometimes there's no more oil, sometimes there's no more wick. In any event, he clears it up. He then puts in a fresh wick. that a fresh measure of oil. Another one who removed it. He casts it. At the same place where the ashes are cashed, are, are placed. Eight Salam is near the altar in is the same place where they put the ashes of the inner and outer altar. That's called the ash pile inside. Now the second step is Umadlik, this fellow who has the privilege of doing this. He kindles near any candle which became extinguished. and the Rambam says, and this is according to the Shita, the theory of the Rambam, kindling the candles. He That's what Hatoba means. Hatova does not only mean preparing, it actually means kindling. What if there is a lamp that has not been extinguished? It's been burning all night and it's still burning. What does he do? Uh, he fixes it what does it mean to fix it he adds oil so it should burn all day there's no reason to throw the wick away and change the wick and take the of oil and throw it away because obviously it's all good all he needs to do is add oil now we learned earlier about the western lamp now there are different interpretations as to what the western lamp is remember we learned that the Rambam's theory is that the menorah was positioned from north to south so if the menorah is positioned from north to south there is no western lamp there's a northern lamp and there's a southern lamp so therefore what's the western lamp this refers to the center lamp which is positioned opposite the Holy of Holies. That's the Rambam's theory. So that the western Nair ma'robi, the western lamp, according to the Rambam, we learned this earlier, is the center lamp. Others, other commentaries, other halakhic authorities differ, saying that no, the menorah is placed east to west. Ah, if the menorah is placed east to west, then the western lamp refers to the one on the west. But it's not the most western, it's the second from the west. So that's the idea of the western lamp. What if the western lamp is extinguished, we should not tingle it after its cleansing and preparation and redoing only from the flame of the outer altar. We should take flame from the altar that is only the western man. but the rest of the seven candles kosman, man. any of the candles which became extinguished he just kindles it one from the other now this is interesting how do you kindle one from the other it didn't, the, the cups did not come out so how do you do that in the case of Maglike how does he kindle one from the other a very interesting way here he takes the tweezers and Meshach he draws of the wick the wick was a long wick he draws the wick to the, to the candle next to it until it lights then he places the wick back in the oil and returns it so that's how he does it, with the tweezers, drawing the wick to the closest candle. Because the candles are set in the menorah, they, you can't just take it out. Now, why can't you use another lamp? Because it's disrespectful to light the menorah from an ordinary lamp. Let's say in our world, we have what's called the Shammash. And I guess that they are not dealing with the Shammash, they're dealing with lighting one from the other. So the western lamp is lit from coals from the altar, and then they are lit from each other, I guess. We learned earlier, in the extensive, extensive laws of Shabbos, that there are certain wicks which are not quality enough and not clean burning enough to be permitted to use for Shabbos candles. Anything not permitted to use for Shabbos candles because it's not a clean burning wick may also not be used for the menorah. Shenemah, as it says, the to cause to rise up. Ne'er tom a continuous candle light. The flame must rise up on its own. That can only happen with a healthy clean wick. A quality wick. You can't make the wick from anything that the Shabbat law does not allow you to make the Shabbat candles wick. And there's a lot of detail earlier in the laws of Shabbos. Tezayin, interesting law. I thought this was fascinating. He does not fix and kindle all the candles once at once. He kindles five of the candles. And then he pauses, he takes a rest. He he, he, He cleanses and kindles five out of seven. And then takes a break. They do another service. Other stuff is performed. Could be the limbs of the sacrifices were brought up on the altar. The incense offering was brought. Whatever. And then he comes back. Nichlas, he reenters. Ometiv hashna'im, and he cleanses and kindles the other two. Why this break? Kide lahargis, as kol in order to get the attention of everybody, to make them feel that this is faithful. So he just makes a, an issue out of it, makes a commotion by pausing and coming back to get everybody's attention. Yudzayin kol neir shakuba, any candle that became extinguished, so you kindle it near acha from another candle. hand of these candles. Kamei which means the ketsah say that what's the order of cleansing and kindling? Zesh is a the same Kohen who merited to remove the ashes of the menorah. Nichnas, he enters a Kleviyode and he has a vessel. What's the name of this vessel? The Shmei. This vessel is called a Chuz or Kuz. What is this: it's a picture-like vessel. was gold. the and gogol similar to a large picture. into this picture, he cleans, he places as le to use wicks. which became extinguished and the balance of the oil on mishabanim which are left. make and then he prepares and kindles five candles. He places this kuz picture down before the menorah. We learn that the menorah has three steps. He places it on the second step before the menorah. And he goes out. he enters. He enters. make kindles. He cleanses and kindles Two more candles. He then takes this kuz. and walks out. So here we have the menorah procedure moving right along. Yudches, Kohen Kayengodol. We learned earlier that the Kohen Gadol brings an offering of meal, a meal offering, Chavitin, every single day. And we learned many of the details. This offering resembled flat cakes and the Rambam described the preparation in Hilchas Masa Kabonis, chapter 13, paragraphs 2, 3, and 4. But we know that every morning and every afternoon the Kohen Godel offered this offering called Chavitin. Mitzvah Aseid it is a positive commandment to offer them. Bechol daily, Mechzav baker half in the morning, Im Tomit together with the daily offering, Burnt offering on Mechzar and heath, and Arbayim in the afternoon. He told In the afternoon, they offer. <coughs> so this is a very holy experience. <coughs> the reshas kneading of them and their baking. Deichin supersedes shabbos even Shabbos. We get and even impurity. If most of the Jewish people are in a state of impurity, like every other time, space sacrifice. As it says, Tu The expression is Tu which means, which suggests that it should not only be presented, but should be know it should be presented beautifully, fresh baked. It should not be baked from the evening, it should be baked in the morning. And furthermore, there's another problem, which we learned earlier in Teofa, if it will be baked in the evening and held till morning, it will become unfit by the fact that it stayed overnight. Nothing is allowed to stay overnight. Why? It's because this deep fryer, or this pan, is a sacred vessel. Nothing is allowed to remain overnight in the sacred vessel. Now, it doesn't mean that because the kneading and baking supersede Shabbos and impurity, that the grinding of the flour and sifting it also does. That you can do earlier. You test 19th grain of and the grinding and the sifting, bakhuts is done outside. There's no reason that cannot be done earlier. It's only the kneading and the baking that should be done on Shabbos. Now we learned earlier that this is offered in a sacred vessel, the entire measure, and then it's split in half. It has to be brought whole and then split in half. Half in the morning, and half in the afternoon. But if it's not brought whole, it's a problem. So now we come to some technical difficulties. What if the brought half in the morning? and unfortunately that kohen, we talked about the kohen gadol, dies. And of course, when the kohen gadol dies, we got a lot of problems. But here we're interested in the habitum. Neat more, he became impure. more, suddenly the coin goggle developed a blemish, which means he can't be a coin goggle anymore. So they appointed immediately, as we used to say when I studied in France. Too sweet. They appointed, am I right? Too sweet. I have a French person here. They appointed another Cohen goggle in his place. Now, there are a couple of issues here. The coin goggle has to bring this habit from his own money. This is not communal funds. So now there's a new coin goggle. What should he do? The morning offering was brought by the Cohen who just died. By the high priest who died, so what should he do? Should he bring a half a measure from his house? No, and you can't bring a half a measure. You gotta bring a whole measure, as I said. So he can't bring a half of a measure of an Isarin from his house. If I remember correctly, this he is the measure of forty-three and one fifth eggs. he can't even bring the half Isar in that's sitting from the first high priest who died, because it's not his. Ela he must bring an entire measure, but he's not supposed to. He's not supposed to offer an entire measure. he divides it in half. Omakrif half is offered, like the requirement dictates. What do we do with the other half? and the other half is lost. It's destroyed can't use it. So now, we have two chatzoyim, two halves were offered. In the morning from the three prior koin gudel and the afternoon from the new koin Or and two halves were lost, or were destroyed. How does it get destroyed? How does it, get, how does it perish? They should just be left until their form is no longer recognizable or they become disqualified because they remain overnight. There has to be some disqualifying factor in order to be able to destroy him. We get to the base of the then they take it out to the place where things are burned. So also if the half of the afternoon was lost, or became impure. Where is this burned? There is a special place in the temple courtyard to the east of the altar, as we stated in Hilchas Masar Chabonis chapter seven, halacha three. In the notes, the detail of that area in the courtyard where they used to burn these disqualified gifts. Chabes twenty-two. What if the high priest died in the morning after he brought his happy saron, but they did not appoint a new high priest? So what do we do? Someone has to bring the afternoon offering. Houston, we got a problem. So, the obligation follows over, carries over to the heirs of the high priest. They have to now bring a whole new Hesorim, and they make it into into this wafer, into this offering. In this case, an exception is made. In this case, the whole thing is brought. Ordinarily, a half is brought. Here, the whole thing is brought. The Gemara Menachas derived this concept from the Homish by Yikra, six fifteen, the coin from his sons should offer it, which means his heirs should offer it, the entire offering bringing it in its place. Mace can go locate the shack where the high priest dies before he offers anything in the morning. not another The heirs have to bring a complete measure in the morning and a complete measure in the afternoon, making it with without doubling the oil and frankincense. A poppy should have lost it, the flower volume has been doubled. And a piece of shall be shaman, the cancel of set aside the regular three Lugin shaman and one handful of the bona, legal master shaman, the hospital half of that for the morning, legal master shaman, the hospital cancel of Benaber, half for the afternoon. End of chapter three. Torah The laws of the regular offerings and the additional offerings, paid chapter 4. We learned earlier, in fact we've touched upon this law again and again, that in the times of the prophet Shmuel, Samuel, and in the times of King David, the family of Kohanim grew, where if any and every Kohan just showed up at the base of there would be a bottleneck, a traffic jam. There were just too many, Baruch Hashem. So King David and the prophet Shmuel got together, and they systemized it, and they divided it into 24 groups. And from that time and on there would be 24 Mishmars, or Mishmarot, or Watches, Groups of Of those groups, every group visited, worked, one week. When you went through the twenty-four, it started again. So if you had to average out, it was twice a year. Every group was divided by seven into seven families for each day of the week. So you had one-seventh of the group, the family of the day, which was serving in the base on the Nevertheless, as time went on, even that base of or bait of that family, that one-seventh of the group, was also very large. So how do we know who does what? That's the subject matter. Aleph. Kol, Elu, all the above-mentioned services, which are done. Which are performed daily. This was done on the basis of lottery. The communal offerings were offered on the basis of lottery. Which means it's not just any Kohen from that day just goes and does what he wants to. But there's a system. Whereas the private offerings, they work differently. Somebody from the family of that day gets involved, but the lottery is for the communal offerings, and there is a meticulous method. How did this happen? All of the of that day, of that family of that day, we said that the Watch is divided into seven. So we have that seventh, that day, the family of that day. They entered into a section called the chamber of the yun stone. And this was a large chamber on the northern side of the temple courtyard. And this temple was chosen because it was technically outside the temple courtyard. At least a portion of it was. And a portion was inside. So it was the portion that was outside the technical courtyard. That's where they would stand. We learned earlier that that's where the Sanhedrin gathered in the Lishkas when did this happen? Right after the dawn's early light. On everybody is uniformed. Big day, in the kohenic garb. The guy in charge, over the lottery, the lottery director, the director of lotteries. is there, the guy in charge of lottery. And all the kohenim of that day stand in a circle, or technically in a semicircle. And the guy in charge, the in charge, the supervisor, Nato. He, I guess, randomly removes a hat. From one of the kohenim's heads, he just pulls his hat off for a second, and returns it. What does that ritual say? Pull the hat off of one of many corners, Put it back on. What it says is, you're it. It's a designation. Now everyone knows that he be a man. What does that mean? This is the guy. Where the count to determine the lottery will begin. That's the beginning point. The start. The guy whose hat got pulled off. And put right back on. And the lottery goes on. As we will explain. days The people selected to perform the services proceed to the designated services. Uh-huh. Okay, so what he's doing here, excuse me. What he's doing here is an overview. The overview is that he does the lottery. Whoever wins the lottery wins the lottery and everyone else is handed over to the people in charge. And soon he's going to explain the details of the lottery. So this was an overview. Oh, they've the holy garments. Which means, the guys that were not chosen in the lotteries, their priestly garb are now removed and they're only left with the priestly trousers with the pants. They then go and they get dressed and put on their weekday clothes, their workday clothes, their everyday clothes. And when they do that, they remove the holy pants and they, receive, they return the garments to their lockers, so that the people who are not chosen go and once again get dressed and go back to their area. Now he goes into the detail. How does this lottery work? in if they stand in a And they all concur, they all agree to a number. They have to agree to a random number. For example, eighty or maya, or a hundred, or even a thousand. You have to agree to a number. For the purpose of this teaching, it makes no difference what number they agree to. Pick a number, any number. Once they have the number, the supervisor tells them, extend your fingers. And they have the option, as we will learn, not counting the thumb, to extend one or more fingers. They extend their fingers, perhaps one, or two. Better not to do three, but if they get three, you count three. But the thumb never counts on the base the Why? Because the thumb is a very easy finger to conceal. You can say, I did do it, I didn't do it. And that will help us avoid the con then if you say no thumbs, because thumbs are easy to keep with. <laughs> because the thumb is short, it's very easy to extend it and never cover it. In fact, when somebody extends the thumb, they don't count the thumb. Okay, so now we have a random amount of fingers extended by a random amount of people. Well, The supervisor begins to count, limnays to count, you know, you should do a beginning with the guy with the hat. The guy whose hat was removed and put back, he's the start. The guy whose hat was removed, and the supervisor counts fingers. Let's say, and he goes around the semicircle, counting fingers which means that it's very random, because we don't know who's going to extend one finger or two fingers or three fingers. If need be, you keep going. If they pick a number like a thousand, got to go call a few times. I guess sooner or later they, they stop picking the high numbers. Until they reach the number. So let's say they pick 80. Boom, 80. And the guy whose finger completed the count. He's the winner of the first lottery. So he gets to do that first service connected with lottery winner number one. So that's how the lottery works. Why would you count the number? With fingers. Isn't it easier to count people? I mean, there's also a random amount of people every day. Sometimes this guy shows, sometimes this guy doesn't show. The answer is, also it's prohibited to count Jews because of the evil eye, other reasons. Whenever we count someone, we count somebody connected to something else. Shenemah, as it says, when King Saul counted his army, the ones who signed up to the army, he had each one bring a lamb, and he counted the lambs. When we count people for a minion, we usually use a verse. We're not counting one, two. We're reciting the words in a verse. Or if we're really desperate, we say not one, not two but you're not allowed to count. So this is a great way of doing it. You count extended fingers rather than people. Hey, five. How many lotteries did they do every day? Arba, every morning. Four lotteries were conducted in the morning. The first lottery determined, who would remove the ashes from the altar, which we learned about in great detail earlier. Hey, So they did this lottery. And whoever would win, would win. And he would also not only remove the ashes, but as well, he was He would arrange the wood pile. And he as well, Mila, would bring up two logs to the altar. All these things we learned earlier. Here we're just saying that they're all the job of that same lottery winner, number one. He also gets the job, as learned earlier, of taking a fire pan of flaming coals from the outer sacrifice altar to bring it into the golden altar for the offering of the incense. So this guy has a multiple list of jobs. He removed the ash from the altar. He sets up the wood pile. He brings the two logs, and he also later brings the firepan full of hot coals from the outer altar to the inner altar. Vob, six, how many the second lottery winner? The next 13 people win the second lottery by order of how they're standing. Remember, they're standing in a semicircle. So the winner plus 12. Kain son, how it work? The supervisor says to them, "Not to you. Extend your fingers. any counts. be As we explained, up to the designated number is The guy who wins the lottery, who he is the Kohen, who is shochet, he slaughters the morning burnt offering. He's the shochet. All the kohenim have to be trained to be shochetim. So he gets the privilege of actually slaughtering the other. Now Shaney and the next guy, Shani, who is next to him, whom he is the receiver, not the football receiver, as Daanah from the blood of the Offering, which is a very spiritual ritual. Technically, we learned earlier, even an Israelite can slaughter the tamid, but the ritual of the blood is the most sacred ritual. But who's there? He's the one who sprinkles it. So he is the one who receives and sprinkles the blood. Very important job. The guy number three the thirteen, the guy who happened to have been next to the second guy, he's the guy that removes the ashes from the inner altar. We learned in great detail earlier. Which would be what's the inner altar? The altar. And the next guy, who was next to him, is the guy who removes the ashes from, as we learned earlier, some make and he fixes, makes good, or as the Rambam said, kindles. As candles in the morning, the lights. number we learned. Much earlier, that there's a whole list of kodim whose job it is to carry the various animal parts up the ramp to the altar. So, number five takes the head of the burnt offering, viragloi, and his feet, Keves, if it is a sheep. We learned earlier that the smaller animals have different assignments, the larger animals have more people involved. Hashishi, number six, Malachi, takes the two forelegs. legs, in the seventh, Malachi, takes the tail, and the rear leg, Hashmini, Malachi, and the next one takes the breast and the neck, Hashishi, the next one, takes the two flanks. That's what you call flanken. We know Asiri and the 10th, Malach, takes the inner organs, and on the 11th, Malach brings up the ramp, Seles, the flower, the meal, on Hanesachim of the flower meal offering libations, we learned that libations are composed of flour and wine. Vashneimosser, number 12, Malak Habitin brings the daily offering of the High Priest, the Habitim. Vashleyshaosser, number 13, Malach, Ayayim, brings up the wine, up the ramp, for the libations. So that's lottery number 2, it takes 13 people. Five- a naj- naj- lottery number three. one anyway, of the supervisor says, To all of the members of that family of that day, he makes an announcement. He says, guys, me, Shalai, <podcast> anyone who never had the privilege of offering incense, your baby office should participate in this lottery. Because we learned earlier that anybody who already did incense should allow someone else to do it. It's a once-in-a-lifetime experience unless you were a co so if you stop to anyone who did not do it yet, should gather around. A son the around the supervisor, the official, and they should do the lottery. And the one who comes out first, and he would be the lucky winner, and he would be the man to do the offering of the incense that day. What a great privilege! But we still have one more lottery winner. A, pious, a, number four, scops and cool, and they all gather around him. A piece they draw lots or they do this finger thing. Lay Doctor know male, his There's yet another job. What's the other job? The earlier kohen brought the organs of the burnt offering and other stuff to the top of the ramp. But there is a bottleneck at the top of the ramp, then we need to take from the top of the ramp, organ by organ, limb by limb, piece by piece, and bring it onto the flames. One Kohen, winner number four, merits that job, which obviously takes him a while. One guy. So that's the four lotteries. Hey, Fisu, they did a lot. Svizach, me, whoever wins, wins. Tonisha, Ben Arbai, what about the afternoon daily offering? Hey, but Fisu, like, by a Sacha, there is no other lottery for the afternoon. Allah, okay, okay, whoever merited the morning tasks, Yiskeh, should merit Ben Arbai, the afternoon tasks as well. Chut, there's one exception. Minakhtatus of the incense. Because incense is once in a lifetime. There is a second lottery made in the afternoon for incense. Who can participate in that second lottery? I'm glad you asked. Only those calling who never offered incense ever, not any calling, him, no matter where they are, no matter who they are. May only from that list of that family of that day. Let them participate in this lottery. What if they all already had the privilege? They all did it once. What now? Then in the morning we do a third lottery. And the one who did it in the morning does it in the afternoon, so it reverts back to the fact that in the morning, third lottery, we don't have a select group participating, but anyone and everyone can participate, and there's no need for an afternoon lottery. What about Shabbos? Test nine, the Shabbos on Shabbos. There are regular daily offerings on Shabbos. And then there are the additional offerings of Shabbos. There are also the two bowls of frankincense from the showbreads. We have the showbreads that are on the Shulchan, on the showbread table. And every Shabbos they are changed. The bowls of frankincense are offered on the altar, and the Kohanim get to eat the twelve breads. The miracle was that after sitting there for a week, the twelve breads were so fresh. How does this work? they take the departing family of that day and they do the lots and they do the morning offering plus the two burnt offerings of Musa and whoever merited the service of the morning burnt offering also gets the Musa and then on Shabbos is the new watch comes in because Shabbos is the changing day they now do another lottery for their offering which is the afternoon offering starts their week the new shift the Elu, the Elu, both shifts, split the showbreads, the twelve breads. I guess six goes to the outgoing shift, and six goes to the incoming shift. As we will describe. Yud ve'en echel nobody can eat the bread of the showbreads, until the shnei of the two bowls of frankincense are offered, alo on the plain. Now, it's interesting that this frankincense is an offering. Therefore, as we learned earlier, every offering to an amalek requires salt. So they have to add salt to the frankincense. Kishar hakarbon, like any other offering. We learned earlier that if wine becomes a separate offering on its own, it also needs salt. If it's just a libation, it doesn't. Yud alav yachar korban was following the Musaf offering. By the way, this is why we have a Musaf service, to commemorate the Musaf offering. It needs additional, and that's the name of our section, regular and additional offerings. Maktirin, they then offer shnei abazichim, the two bowls. Or shnei shnei abazichim. Two koanim offer these two bowls. Now the question is, who are these two koanim? One opinion is that they are koanim number 14 and 15, instead of stopping by 13, we go to 14 and 15. Another opinion is that they are two koanim from the new watch. Yud beis 12, how are the showbreads divided? Remember there are 12 breads. Mishmar Anichnas the the watch the group who comes in they takes, take six six breads. On Mishmar the group who leaves they take six. That's the split six and six. Anichnasim chelkim beinam Those who enter gather around on the north side. The north side is where the offerings are offered. about basoping. So that's an indication that they just came in, because they're about to offer in the north. Shari mukhanam they're ready to work. and those who leave the shift who is about to depart chelkim ba'dorim their division of the six challahs are on the south side. not of Chicago, just the plain outside. side. Now comes a complication. We learned earlier that when the major festivals come along. There are three major festivals in the Jewish year. And you ask any American, he'll tell you they are Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and Hanukkah. No, that's not what we're talking about. Then you ask other Americans, they'll tell you it's Cinco de Mayo, Martin Luther King Day. And one of the holidays, Caesar Chavez Day in California. That's not what we're talking about. Those are, not, those are very important festivals. Let's not knock them. Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and Hanukkah are very important, certainly the other three. But the three major festivals are Pesach, Shavuos, and Sukkos. Those are the festivals that every Jew, male would come to Jerusalem, any woman who was able to come to Jerusalem, any children who were able to come to Jerusalem. They weren't mandated, just the men were mandated, but the women and children who were able to come came, and they offered lots and lots of offerings. So the law is that any coin could come and say, hey, it's a high traffic time, I want to work. So it's almost a free-for-all with the colonium. So therefore, we say that, when one of the three major festivals, would come out on Shabbos, or the Shabbos, in the holiday, Shabbos of the intermediate days, then everybody would share the division of the Shabbos, because everybody was there. So it was like a free-for-all, with lots of watches with her. Not the kind of watch that you want to buy a watch, not that kind. There's a similar important law that has to be dealt with here, says the Rambang, that if the first day of a major festival came out on Sunday... Then the day before Yom which is Shabbos, everybody also divided equally. Because we want to encourage these people to come early. So also the last day of comes out on Friday. Everybody takes part in the division of the Apornim, which is a very coveted benefit for Kona. Basic Shabbos again, it's a miracle that week-old bread was so coveted because it was delicious. It's an seven of which is, as the festival leaves, why, the Rambach spells it out. This is an ordinance which was instituted, where they wanted the koanim to remain another day, to be able to get some of this you might say showbread. And if one of the members of the watch of the coming week would be delayed, there'd be plenty of corn to choose from, in case they were short of kohen. So it was always a good thing to encourage the masses. What if one day separated Shabbos and Yom For example, Shabbos, one day, Yom Meaning if Yom came out either on Monday, so you have that Sunday is that one day, which, divides, which separates between Shabbos and Shabbos. Or, if Yomteh ends on Thursday, so Friday is that one day. The beginning of Sukkot, for example, is on Monday. Or the last day is Thursday. Or Shabbos, which comes out on Monday. So you have just a Sunday in between, or Thursday. So you have just a Friday in between the end of the festival. Or the beginning of the festival and Shabbos. So what's the issue? Mishmar the watch. Shazman the Kabbos Shabbos, whose time is that Shabbos. NATO gets to take instead of six. He has to take Eser Chalas, ten Chalas. This is the Shabbos. Right after or right before a festival, there's either a Friday or a Sunday in between. So the departing watch gets not six, but ten. And the watch that enters, gets only two. Why is that? Why shouldn't the watch that enters get six like they always get? It's not fair. The answer, my friends, is blown into it. Because if truth be told, there's only one day left for this watch. Shabbos a Which is either Friday or Sunday. There isn't that much for the watch because it's a shortened week because all the Kohenim are there for the holiday. So the new watch has a very shortened week. Miss Atzlin. And the fact is that they're going to be lazy. They're not going to be driven to come because there's not going to be that much time to serve. And only only a few come. Therefore, they don't need six chalas. They can do it with two chalas. This is my understanding of the Ramba. I'm just a simple guy from New Jersey. Now the plot thickens. We just thought that you have this big throng of people who get six chalas. Remember we said the watch that leaves gets six chalas. The watch that comes gets six chalas. Okay, they're working out. So now he says that the high priest of Kohen Godel always gets to take half the chalas. So he gets three of the six. Shanemah, as it says, well, he it shall be, the Aaron shall belong to Aaron, to Aaron, who's the high priest, the Levonah, and to his sons. This suggests, hair goes to Aaron, or the head goes to his sons. Well, there goes that idea. So the Kohen Gogol gets it. The Ain claimed Gogol made to Now, the Kohen Gogol never takes a piece of a loaf. He always gets whole loaves. Shain's equivocated because it's disrespectful to give the high priest a piece of a loaf. So it's not like they break every loaf in half. But they divide the loaves. End of chapter 4. Rambam, Mishnah Torah. Hilchah is tmidim, or musafim, the laws of the regular offerings, as well as the laws of the additional offerings. Musaf means additional. For example, on Shabbos and on the holidays, we had additional offerings, and then that was always on top of the daily offerings, the daily burnt offering and so on. Today we begin about the showbreads. We know that one of the main vessels, beautiful vessels in the Holy Temple, was the showbread table, the lechem upon him, as it was in the Mishkan. So he says here, today we learn the detailed laws of the lechem upon him. Mitzvahs aseid is a positive commandment, sad there to arrange, to organize, lechem upon him, the showbread table, the word lechem means bread, Haponim means of the face, the face bread, the visible bread. Bechol yayim daily, Bechol yayim Shabbos, every Shabbos, weekly, every Shabbos. Al ha'shuchan on the table, on the Hashem before Hashem. Where is this? Not in the courtyard. Bechol, this is actually in the base of the English. Shenemar, as the verse says, Beyom ha'shabbos, Beyom ha'shabbos, each and every Shabbos. Ya archenu The Kohen should set it up, the Gemer, etc. So that this is a ritual performed each and every Shabbos, once a week. Now the Rambam says in Bezvedob or Border, one thing is certain, it's for sure, clearly evident, Shushnei Meshechalis, that the amount of breads we're talking about are 12 chalas. Kol challah every chala was made up of shnei esrenim, two esrenim. And again, if I remember correctly, any sorim is 43 and one-fifth eggs volume. Each challah is made up of twice that. The erchenes, and this is arranged, shnei Sidorim, in two sets. A seder is like a set. Shesh chalais bechol seder. Check, check, let me read the book. The uh, tabernacle. There are six chalais, six breads, in every section. Here you actually have the showbread table, it's the cover of the tabernacle book. And here you have, you see the two sets, one on the right side, one on the left side, with the halas, And then we're going to learn about the staves that separate them to keep air flowing in between them. And this is, in the, this is a replica, a recreation of the tabernacle showbread table. Chalal, the way it's arranged, it's in each of the two sets, one chalice on top of the other chalice. And between every two chalices, shleshokonim shows up. There are three rods of gold. What's the purpose of these are like the shelves. What's the purpose of having the three rods of gold? In order that air should flow between them to keep it airy. Remember, there was an absolute miracle which occurred. The breads lasted an entire week, but you have to at least keep the air there so Hashem doesn't have to work too hard. <laughs> Make sure it doesn't get moldy. So you need that, some kind of airflow. So that was the purpose of the golden staves. The same they call Marokha, so now each set was supported by two frames, two side frames, so you had the side frames which held the two sets. That made up what we call the table. The nation of it's called Marocha, then, at the side of each of the two sets, there was Kli, there was a vessel which contains a handful of Lavona frankincense, which was an integral part of the presentation, and later as we will learn of the offering of the showbread table. In fact, as we will learn, the frankincense is offered on the altar, and the showbreads are eaten by the corner. As it says, and you shall place al on each set, meaning on <in> each <Spanish> six zaka pure frankincense. And this vessel, this piece of furniture, this, this vessel which held the frankincense, who is called bozach. It's called a bozach, which is a dish. The Rambam says that bezicha, in his commentary to the Mishnah, is the translation of unkalis to Kapolsov. So it's like a kapol, it's like a large spoon vessel. And the Vazichim had flat bases. And they should rest flat on the shoulder table. So you had, again, six chalas, one on top of the other, separated by staves, shelf like staves, sitting in a frame, six and six, with a bowl of frankincense, the top of each one. Now he says in Gimel, remember the Jewish people went through all kinds of times, there were tough times when there were shortages here and shortages there, and revolutions and wars. So he says, the two rows, prevent one from the other, one, one prevents the other from being accepted, which means it's an all-or-nothing deal. The same applies to the two dishes of frankincense. This is an indispensable necessity. One prevents the other from being accepted. The table can only be dedicated, initiated by placing the showbreads on Shabbos. You can't do it on Wednesday. You figure you'll have the press there on Wednesday. You'll do it on. No, this is a Shabbos ritual. Each they take out the old bread. Which is there on the table. It's been sitting there for a week. Yet, it's delightful and fresh, and everybody wanted it. Miracle. It's there from the last Shabbos, and they arrange new breads. And the bread that is brought forth, the old bread, That's what we learned earlier. The two watches, the two groups of him, the ones that are leaving and the ones that are coming in it. each group gets six breads. If you remember, we learned that the Kohen gobel gets half of that. But these are very large breads. And the group that enters gets six, the group that leaves gets six in Kohen Godel. They divide it with the high priest as well, and they eat it, and this is delicious. I wouldn't know, because I'm not a Cohen, but I would imagine. Even though I don't think Atkins would support it, because it's certainly carbohydrates. How does this work? And this is, I think, fascinating. If you're organized and you like teamwork, here you go. There's a team of four Koanim who enter. Two of these four are holding each. Holding one row, so two are holding two rows. So you got one cohen holding six colours in a row, and the other cohen holding six collars in a row. and then the two more cornim are each holding one of these frankincense vessels. So both are holding a dople of two frankincense bowls. So four cornium, row of six, row of six, frankincense bowl, frankincense bowl. them. Now ahead of this team of four, go four kohen, him. What are they carrying? Nothing. What are they doing? They're gonna take out the old stuff. two of these four Letel are in charge of taking away. Schnee's starting into two rows, one row each. and two more him, the other two of the four of the advanced team Letel are there to take they was getting the two bowls of rakcentric so now they get all set up and those who enter and stand what's happening on the north side of the table or playmador in facing south I get those that are about to go out and stand by door on the south side or playmador top in facing north and we mesh the elomani one team grabs and pulls the other team puts so that it should happen in the same moment so the table should never really be without all this stuff the handbreath of the departing team should be within the handbreadth of the delivering team. for night tovim should always be before me. So this is actually an exercise in precision where take and give happens simultaneously with a team of four and four. Hey, They come out now with the old bread. They take the bread that they brought forth. I don't mean to say old bread with the bread of the previous week, but the bread they take out because it's actually miraculously fresh. They place it on al shulchan on another gold table, shaiyahuulam, which was in the entry area. And it's interesting that it was a gold table. We learned the principle earlier. Ain anius, b'mokem, There is no poverty in a place of wealth. The Besandikdash is spiritually wealthy. Everything has to be wealthy. They went and offered the bowls of frankincense on the altar. That was a prerequisite. You had to first offer the frankincense. afterwards, they divided the breads. And the teams of calling him together with the high priest, with the calling God, who ate the breads. Now we got a problem. What if it's Yom Kippur? You can't eat the breads in don't keep a on Shabbos, of this ritual always happens on Shabbos. So the only way can keep could be an issue is if it's Shabbos. Ha They wait till Saturday night to divide the challah. No problem. Now we touched upon this a little bit earlier, but here he gets more thorough. We talked about the quality control that existed within everything that was used in the base on English. And today we underscore the same thing. How was the showbread bread done? How did they make it? So he says maybe they deliver, they bring twenty four saoz or see him That's a humongous amount of chitim of. Wheat. How do the Menachas? Grade a, 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 From Gelson's as we say here. Not from Ralph's. Top of the line. Fit for meal offerings. It's got to be azoints and azoints. in a in We then, We actually learned this earlier. That now, once they deliver, these kernels of wheat are struck and they are trodden upon like other kernels of wheat for meal offerings. And we touched upon this earlier that we have to strike the wheat powerfully with the one's hand so the dust will be removed and then crushing them with the feet to crack the shells and... He brings down that it's struck 300 times and trodden upon 500 times. That's like a lot of times. So to really, really refine it to get all the junk out, they then grind it and sift it with 11 sifters. Our Ba'al ha-Esra misar and says these 24 measures of fine flour. Now 24 measures of fine flour will make a lot of breads. So we don't use obviously all of it. The they have all that 24 measures of fine flour, really, really refined, and all these stuff taken out. We make shtein 12 chalas, and this chalas should be made matzahs, unleavened. Now, this is obviously under the best conditions. What if it wasn't sifted with 11 sifters? It was sifted only with 9 sifters. Actually, it, seemed, it wasn't made out of 24 measures of flour, but it was made from 23 or whatever, so that was optimal. But as long as it's a quality of fine flour, shaders, it's kosher. These requirements, 11 sifters and 24 saws, this is the best way to perform the mitzvah, but if one didn't, for whatever reason, it's okay. As they used to say when I was a kid, okay. Zion 7, they're needing and their arrangement, Bachutz, is actually done outside the Beisam Igdosh area. But the baking, they have a special baking area in the courtyard. The kneading and the preparation is done outside. But the baking in the courtyard, like the other meal offerings, and they are kneaded one at a time, so that it's thoroughly kneaded. I guess these breads were very needy. Just kidding. Just to wake up, everybody. And they were baked two by two. We don't want to do massive baking, we want quantity. Now, they had three molds or forms of gold. And again, gold, even though gold is not the best baking material, but it's certainly the prettiest. is one gold mold in which they placed the dough when it's still dough. And the second one, in which they bake it. Other opinions say that they don't bake it in gold because it's not practical. They bake it in some kind of metal. And the third is where they place it. When it's removed from the oven, in order that it not be ruined. In other words, when it's hot, it has to maintain its shape. If it's not placed in a proper mold, it will not maintain its shape. What's the shape? Speaking about shapes, what's the shape? And each bread is rectangular. As it says, is called the bread of faces. What do we mean the bread of faces? It has exposure to many sides. So it has many faces. And he's going to explain that it, it is open to six directions. East, west, north, south, up, down. You can see the challah from east, west, north, south, up and down. So it has to have a shape in each of those directions. How long was each challah? I'm glad you asked. Each challah is ten hand breath. A tepa is 3.15 inches. Each challah is 31 and a half inches. So that's like almost 3 feet. That's like a hefty hefty. That's mucho grande. And the width of each hollow is is like 15, 16 inches. Five tvochim. And its height, it's got height too. Sheva, its voice, are seven fingers. What's a finger? I'm glad you asked. A finger is .79 of an inch. So let's say it's almost an inch, four-fifths of an inch. So seven fingers is like, let me just round it up, six inches. Six inches. That's like uh, pretty thick. The now the showbread table orte is long, twelve twachim. but it's wide, six t'pachim. This is the part, if you haven't listened to anything else, you got to listen to this part. You take the length of the chala, which is ten twachim, right? And you place it to the width of the table, which is six t'pachim. Now, that's a problem. You have ten twachim on six twachim. So you have four twachim sticking out, two on each side. So the challah goes, sticks out. Two tapas on each side. So what do you do with the part that sticks out? Here comes the interesting part. He then takes it, let's say this is the part that sticks out, and he folds it up. So that he makes a wall out of that which sticks out. So commentary is explained. It now looks like a draw. Flat and sides. So the challah has a wall-like feature. The two talking that stick out go like this. There are various opinions when it comes to this. So it's very important that on each side there's space in the middle of the loaf, between each loaves, he places one challah on top of the other, actually eight until he sets up six challahs, and the other set as well. So you now have six challahs, one on top of the other. The edges are protruding upwards, according to the Rambam. There are others who have other opinions, but this is the Rambam's opinion, and they are sitting on top of each other. Now comes another problem: What part of this can we do on Shabbos, and what part of this can we not do on Shabbos? Because after all, my friends, it's always Shabbos when we do this. So he says, "In ten the baking of this bread never supersede Shabbos." so when do we bake it? Friday. The of Shabbos so they bake it the is not arranged until until Now what if it's a holiday? What if it's a two day Rosh Hashanah Which almost never existed when there was a base on What if two days Rosh Hashanah came out on Thursday and Friday? And that is because the witnesses came with deciding of the new moon in, in, in the time when it was not day and not night. Aphanais and if need be you bake them Wednesday. Yeah, you don't violate Shabbos by baking them on Shabbos There are many acts in the Beis on which supersede Shabbos but this could be done before Shabbos. I made a bracha earlier, I'm just gonna have some water. Now there's another issue. Or as they say in Australia, issue. There's another issue, and that is, arranging the rods is a problem for Shabbos as well. Either because you're building, say some, you're not allowed to build on Shabbos, or because it's muksa, it's not permissible to touch on Shabbos. In any event, this is interesting, I mean, it's all interesting, but I find this interesting. Le'isidur in hakanim, the organization and arrangement of the rods, related to awesome, or removing them, neither of these deches ha-Shabbos, supersede and override Shabbos. So this is amazing. Here we have a Shabbos ritual, which can't be done on Shabbos. So what do they do? El on the Shabbos somebody has to go in before Shabbos, and slip out the rods, place them the the table, so that for the period from Friday afternoon until Shabbos, when they actually make the exchange, the chalos are sitting on the other chalos and not on the rods. so now they come in, they put the new chalos in again, sitting on the other chalos, because you can't touch the rods. And on Sunday, they come in, they insert the rods in their places, being a house between the chalas, so that from Friday to Sunday, the chalos are sitting on each other. Very interesting. Or as they say back home, very interesting the order of setting up the Chalas on Shabbos are as prescribed however but another detail they did not place the bowls of frankincense there until the next day so they placed it alongside instead of on top it's not until the next Shabbos that they would actually cause the bowls of frankincense to smoke on the altar and that does supersede Shabbos what if the bread becomes unfit I'm sorry Let's go back. Say What if he placed the breads according to its directions? What I said earlier was not correct. And he didn't place the bowls until Sunday. That's not good. But And then the next Shabbos he smoked the frankincense without having placed the bowls of frankincense properly last Shabbos. The bread becomes unfit. a And does not maintain its sanctity. So these are some of the things that can go wrong see <laughs> that If he organized the bread, and the bowls of frankincense on on Sunday instead of Shabbos, he hit the and then he smoked the bowls of frankincense. After Shabbos, I next Shabbos. The bread does not have sanctity. becomes unfit. but if he smoked the frankincense on Shabbos, the the bread does not become unfit. You give you the She said What should he do with bread and the bowls of frankincense that were arranged for some reason after Shabbos? It's a problem. the until another Shabbos passes. and they are arranged once a Shabbos passes and they're under arrangement, should okay. Cause these bowls of frankincense to be smoked on the altar, not on Shabbos, because it's kind of a make deal. But after the Shabbos, Shabbos Aleinu, they have the were arranged. Cause the irregular the breads and the bowls of frankincense were left for several Shabbos and it's Okay, you'd now see the asah the Shabbosim. what if you arranged, the breads and the bowls of frankincense according to direction. But he didn't smoke the frankincense on the altar. La'achar Shabbos until after Shabbos. He offered the frankincense on the altar after Shabbos. May la'achar Shabbosu. Whether after the Shabbos, may la'achar Shabbosacharis. Habor after another Shabbos, but not on that Shabbos or not on any Shabbos. Nifshal because the bowls of frankincense were not offered on the altar promptly. Or on uh, another Shabbos, all the breads become unfit. So if they become unfit; they can't could Varei him or kadoshim him They're like any un- other unfit holy object. One violates the law of pigo, the neisar, the all of the negative laws of inappropriate offerings, which we touched upon earlier and will touch upon in great detail later. We're going to learn about the detailed terminology of pigo. What pigo means? Something that had an inappropriate thought. Neisar, something that is left over past the expiration time. The talmi, something that is impure. Kamei sheyizboyer, as we will explain. Tesvav nifasah chala What if one of the broke? He had a broken the before it was removed from the table, That break makes the whole challah unfit. so now we cannot offer the frankincense. However, the challah after we removed it, and the challah is unfit, but the frankincense is okay. the last paragraph of this chapter. but the time came. And we're going to learn. I believe in the next chapter what time that is, because in the next chapter we talk about the order of events. What if the time came to remove it? It says it was removed. Even though it didn't get removed, it, but it's past the time. It's okay. We will remove no challah before it's time. Or is that wine? They'll serve my no wine before it's time. Just kidding. And if the challah was broken... Makhtir habozichin, he offers the bowls of frankincense, even though he didn't dismantle the set. Whether before the frankincense was smoked, or after, or one of the bowls became impure, that which is impure is impure, that which is pure is pure. But, we, but the fact that we do have here, with this all end, is that what is offered on the altar, the frankincense. What is consumed by the konim, the challah. But the frankincense must first be offered on the altar in order for the challah to be consumed, and the challah must be appropriate in order for the frankincense to be offered with all of its details. End of chapter 5.